Hey, this is Dylan Acock with Scissor Tail Editions, and you're listening to Foxy Podcast. Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. Shows produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and the present. And welcome to episode number 34 of the Foxy Podcast. We started things off with a piece from Robin Allender's new LP called Foxes in the Foyer, which is one of the latest releases to come out on the Scissor Tail Editions label out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, a label that deals in mostly experimental drone and folk sounds, and it's released uh, some music by some of our favorites, including Nathan McLaughlin and uh, Josh Mason. And as you heard at the top of the show, we're going to be 
featuring a bunch of music from Scissor Tail Editions on this episode, and also speaking with Dylan Acock, who, along with running the label, also records some raw experimental folk-based music under his given name and as Talk West. And he has a great new album that came out on Preservation called Black Coral Sprig. And he's done some other collaborative works with uh, Brad Rose in Mohawk Park and Angel Food and also is in a trio called Golden Pawn. But before we get into our conversation with Dylan, I'm going to play the title track from his album Rise and Shine that he put out under his own name, initially as a lathe cut in 2012 and then later reissued in 2013. But here's a track called, again, Rise and Shine from Dylan Acock. Thank you. 
For starters, I was just wondering if you could provide us with some background on maybe what motivated you to start up Scissor Tail Editions. Um, well, uh, I, I started it back in 2010, um, and there was mostly there wasn't a whole lot of like uh, weirder noise music going on in Tulsa. Um, but a few of my friends, a few of my friends were making stuff. Um, this guy Mark Kirkendall, who's like I grew up with. And uh, he does music under the new Honey Shade and runs that um, label Unknown Tone. And um, a couple older friends who were like 10 years older than me uh, were making music. And I kind of just, I, I sort of started because I, I was like obsessed with their music and was listening to their stuff all the time. <clears throat> and this was when I was not really recording a whole lot of my own music, but um, I was still playing live in a bunch of bands. But uh I was just like obsessed with their music and I felt like, you know, they were, they weren't really getting their music out there and it's really hard in Tulsa because there's just, if there's no local scene, um, you kind of have to do everything online and they just, you know, this was sort of when, the, I mean, I guess it was early, when I was really listening to their stuff was like 2005 to 2007 or something and um, I mean, I know there was MySpace and stuff like that, but I'd Living in Tulsa, you don't really know of any kind of online network of this kind of stuff going on. And so I just sort of wanted to visit, like make this music and put it in sort of a physical format because I just felt like it was too good to it was <laughs> too good to just be sitting on somebody's hard drive somewhere. <laughs> well, were you um, was there some interaction with like Brad from Digitalis? I mean, when I think of uh, Tulsa, I guess that's the first thing I think of is Digitalis. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's what's weird is like. He was <laughs> Foxy Digitalis was one of the first like like um, websites I just came across googling stuff when I was younger, like trying to figure out you know more about this kind of music. And I was I was like I would go to that website every now and then, like once or twice a month, and never never really realized uh, I never checked the contact. I never had anything I needed to send or anything. I was just kind of digging the music and never checked the contact. And I finally had finished an album. I was wanted to send him some music and I realized it was like in Tulsa and so I uh like a block over it's like a block yeah, away it was from just like it really was it's just like it was like a couple miles down the street and I was just like well shit I'm just gonna like drop some music off at his door pretty much <laughs> and uh I ended up just getting in contact with him and you know he was really open to meeting like a new person and um I uh so I actually started, that That really was also a big, it wasn't maybe the spark for what made me want to start the label, but it, um, he helped me a ton. Like he, um, I sort of, I hung out with him, but I was also kind of like, uh, being like a, just like a helper with trying to help him fill orders and intern almost with, I mean, it was just sort of, his label just ran out of his apartment. So it wasn't like, it's not like a huge operation, but I still would go over there and like stick his brain about like distros and how to how to get you know how to get your music out there and how it's like what what different manufacturing companies to use and all this stuff so he helped me a whole he helped me a whole lot just like 
figure out how to approach the whole thing. Cool, yeah. Well, I read in a recent interview that you did with uh, Color Sound Vibration where you had mentioned that you know, like your early musical pursuits involved being a turntablist, like you were quite young. So I'm kind of curious how, how you transitioned from that area of interest into this more uh, experimental drone, you know, folky mm-hmm. label that you're doing. I guess what, what sparked your interest in, into more folk-leaning sounds? Um. Well, the transition from turntablism was pretty smooth. Um, I I was doing that when I was like, I started doing that around 13 and 14 and kept doing it till about 19, I'd say. And so I was already kind of digging weird crates, you know, crates for like different weird music and sound effect records and stuff like that. And um, I was playing these different bands like jazz, some different jazz bands around town and one that was sort of, kind of like a, almost like a live Aphex Twin type band mm-hmm. around 2006. And um, so I would I would use just all these different weird records and sort of create like a texture in the background of the stuff. And I, I, just, I mean, I did a lot of scratching and stuff too at home and beat juggling, <clears throat> which is like the more traditional turntablism stuff. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> with bands, I got to, I got to use all these weird records and create like textures and loops and things like that. That's kind of what got me. That's sort of what got me into recording that kind of stuff. And um, I guess the move towards more folk sounding stuff happened pretty late, around 2009, when I was about 23. Um, that's when I bought a 12 string and a pedal steel guitar. <clears throat> and my brother played pedal steel and lap steel, so I was already sort of around that, around that kind of music. Um, and I guess I was around that music a lot growing up because my dad. My dad's way into folk music and is actually a, a DJ too. He does a, a NPR uh, radio show called Folk Salad. Mm, okay. So I've like I've always kind of grown up around folk music and and that might be why I was so into hip hop music because I was trying to get away from get away from folk music and I was like my I was named after Bob Dylan and all this stuff. So it was just like constantly it was constantly around me and my my parents have been they've done like house concerts like my whole life bringing different like folk artists in so it's always been around but um i kind of just wanted to reject that as much as possible for a long time and uh i guess um uh i i guess i i guess i stopped listening to i mean i still listen to hip-hop i guess i still listen to hip-hop quite a bit but i i started listening to more folk music um around 2008 and 2009 and that was also when i bought the instruments um, but I had heard uh, I heard Bibio's music. I, I was working at Whole Foods, and one of the the uh, dishwasher was, was, knew I was into like different kinds of electronic music at the time, and told me I should check out Bibio. And that was the first time I'd heard anybody use like acoustic instruments to make you know different kinds of electronic music, and it was a totally different sound than I was used to. Mm-hmm. I'd already I was like I was listening to a lot of like Fortet and and uh, Moom and um, the books and stuff like that at the time. So it wasn't like a huge, wasn't a huge like jump from, you know, the hip hop, electronic music, and then into like droney folk stuff. Right, right. Because all those bands, I mean, really did incorporate a lot of acoustic instrumentation into their works. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Fortet was like, I really loved Fortet. I still have some of Fortet stuff. He, 
some of the stuff he does now is a lot more electronic, like beat techno driven stuff. But mm-hmm. those, some of his first couple albums were like some of my favorite albums ever. Sure. Well, uh, kind of changing subjects here, but I, one of the things that has impressed me is just the artwork that you've done with uh, Scissor Tail Editions. Uh, they co- often come in these real beautiful letterpress editions that I know that you do on your own, and you also run mm-hmm. a small letterpress studio. So I'm kind of curious, how long have you been doing that, and and has your interest in that also kind of developed alongside running the label? Yeah, it it has kind of like I I didn't. I didn't originally think I would be making all the artwork, or like I guess I don't make all the art, but I do a bunch of the printing. I probably, I probably make about seventy-five percent of the artwork for the releases, and I'm hoping to just if it was up to me, I would only do that. Um, but I can't with letterpress printing. You can't do like big, like full color layout. So sometimes I have to go with like other printers, but um, it. It didn't really. It didn't. I didn't get the equipment until when was that? I got that. I got it in about '09. I was working at a. Uh, I was working as like a janitor or a sexton, as they call it, at a, a Unitarian church. Mm-hmm. And I was I was sort of getting into printing at the time. Just like I was just kind of like drooling over letterpress equipment online. I really wanted to try and get some, but it was like you can't get that stuff shipped because it's just so heavy. Like you pretty much have to pick it up. And, uh, so I was cleaning this back room and I saw this like old wooden letterpress back there. And, uh, I went and asked the, the, uh, head people up there if they would let me use it or just like come and use it at the church. And they, they hooked me up with the guy who used to make their Sunday morning pamphlets. And he's, that's the reason they have the, the letterpress thing there. And so, um, I called him and he was like, "Man, I've got three of these out here at my my art gallery. You can just come and pick them up." He's like, "I don't I don't use them, and it's you know, there's like they're just collecting dust back here." So I ended up acquiring like three letter presses, like the nice big like steel mm-hmm. iron letter press things, um, and uh, so that I guess that is now where I kind of want the label to move is where I'm doing mostly. Mostly all the art in house, and um, I'm starting to have time to do it, so it's it's looking like it's going to work out. But um, I also like using other people's artwork too, just because I feel a little less like <laughs> judgmental of other people's artwork than I am of my own. So mm-hmm. I feel like other people's stuff can kind of stand stand up over time. My own stuff, I like you know, if I've progressed at all, I. I'm like, you know, mad about the stuff I did a couple <laughs> of years back or something. Right, right. You know. Well, um, this Bruce Langhorn uh, hired hand LP that you did a few years ago, um, ha- you know, of course, has to be your most successful and, and well-received release that you've done. And I know it's currently sold out. And, and I believe, didn't you, there's some, I believe I read somewhere that there is plans of a second edition. Is that right? I'd, I'd like there to be. I've been kind of lazy about writing writing him and his manager about doing another one, but I, I really do want to, it would be nice to print another one because I think that there's there's enough there's enough people out there who are still wanting a copy of it, so mm-hmm. I'd well, like to. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, I mean, how this would, was really kind of an elusive soundtrack from the 70s, how this came together for you as your first vinyl release, just being kind of this, you know, an upstart tape label for the most part. How, how did this release land in your lap? 
so to speak. And uh, <laughs> most, like, a, a whole lot of luck, really. That was, like, I I pretty much just found that, you know, found someone giving away a free download of the record on, like, some random, you know, like, psych, psych blog. And uh, I just, um, I felt, I just, like, fell in love with that record. I couldn't stop listening to it all the time. And I'd always kind of thought about doing, wanting to do some kind of reissue. And so that was, that was just, like, the first thing I was just, like super passionate about and um i found out that like a lot of people had tried i mean someone has already reissued it on cd and then uh it's after talking to i guess it's his manager it's more like he's got a friend one of the main people i talked to is because he's had a stroke and doesn't really can't really talk as well as he used to so i usually have to speak to um a lady that works for him and uh Anyway, she said that a lot of people, a lot of people had asked to do the record, but just their timing and money hadn't worked out. Um, well, her timing and Bruce's timing hadn't worked out. They weren't, they weren't really needing the money or needing, uh, really worried about it at all at the time, I guess, because he had just recently had the stroke. So, um, anyway, so I just, uh, I talked to him and said I wanted, I was just like, if you guys would be at all interested, I'd love to do just like a super short run. Uh, repress it is because I think there's a lot of people out there that want to hear it and would love to have it on like a, a nice physical format like that. And they were down for it. And so, um, yeah, pretty much it, it was just mostly luck, like good timing and luck. Yeah. There's there's a lesson out there for the listening audience. It pays to ask, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly, I, I, I do feel like this, the hired hand release, um, it, it sort of feels like it was just meant to be for your label in terms of where you were at and where you were going with it. Um, mm-hmm. Because when I kind of listen through your catalog, you know, up to the point where you're at now, I mean, it sort of seems like that album really forms like a blueprint for your label's aesthetic uh, in terms of just like this. Yes, it's dealing with like folk mm-hmm. instrumentation and things like that, but it really has sort of an a, a experimental take on that. Um, do you sort of see this album in that regard then? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you caught that because that's totally that's where that really did set the aesthetic for at least at least for the time being at least since since that was released until now I'm still uh, that really does like show it's like the best one of the best representations of like my taste in music is one of my favorite my favorite stuff and uh, Scott Tuma and um, Padang Food Tigers who we did the seven inch with they all kind of feel like they all you can really hear like what they have in common this sort of like really sparse spacious um you know they both employ banjos and uh or all three of them really do i got to them as mostly guitar but uh, yeah it really did it's, it's like it sets the aesthetic for the whole for the label and it's a mix of i guess it's like a really good mix of folk and electronic music but it's it's not. It doesn't lean so much to the electronic side. I don't think, but mm-hmm. it, and yeah, it also is like I, I also felt like it really was a good representation of Tulsa and Oklahoma, where I'm from. Is just that kind of you know, it's like these wide. We just have these prairies everywhere and just big flat open space. So it just feels yeah. Just in general, feels like a good representation of the mm-hmm. label. Well, let's uh, let's play a track uh, from that uh, the hired hand LP. I'm going to play leaving del norte if now i chose this track if you had to choose the one from that album that you would play what would you have selected 
Mm. Don't mean probably, to put you on the spot. <laughs> probably that one or or uh, Dead Man. Okay. I really like that. I think it's Dead Man. Yeah, or and the and the last last song is one of my uh, favorites too. Okay, it's well, the one that I think has the big build up with. Um, it's got like this weird synthy like Boards of Canada kind of build up on it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's jump into this. This is uh, Leaving Del Norte from Bruce Langhorn. <laughs>
To make a change. 
So the last track that we heard there in that set was from your brother, Jesse Acock, from a, a seven inch that you put out last year. Um, and I guess aside from releasing his music, have you two like collaborated on other music projects over the years or, or did you two share a lot of similar interests in music growing up? I know you said your family was kind of big into folk music and stuff like that and you sort of rejected that, but did you and your brother have any like mutual interests or things like that? Yeah. Um, we did play together. We played together in uh, really the, it was really the project, the main project that, you know, I was talking about starting the label because there was a lot of music that I was into that wasn't getting um, listened to really or, or promoted at all. And one of it was, one of them was a band that I, I, I uh, joined kind of late in there, you know, as they were formed as a band. But it was with my brother and uh, that, that guy, Mark Kirkendall, I, I spoke about earlier. Um, called Leaving the Tribe. It was just, you know, like, I was probably 15 and they were 17 maybe. Um, but the music was just really good and it was, you know, like there's a couple, there's been a couple bands I've encountered like that in Tulsa that I just felt like we're, you know, on doing something that was just really uh, unique, I guess. It wasn't it wasn't something I was used to hearing around here. Um and so that was like a project that was probably, I, other than drumming, you know, I, I've drummed for his band, the one he's, the, the music that from that seven inch, I've drummed with that group and, and different pro, like little bar bands with him around town, but um, we haven't collaborated too much. We record every now and then over at that guy Mark's house and um, he just kind of does his own thing and I do my own thing, but um, the musical, I guess, musical interests, um, I lived with him uh, from 17 to about 21, and so I did listen to a lot of the same music. We, you know, we hung out all the time, and I listened to pretty much whatever he was listening to in the house. And he's always been like really way into like 70s folk rock music, and um, he was a huge, huge fan of the Black Crows growing up. I mean, he used to like blast Black Crows nonstop in our house. And so I, I ended up, I actually ended up really liking all those bands, and I kind of secretly liked them because I didn't play it out loud. I mostly listened to hip hop music and instrumental music, but I, I also have just had a huge, huge love for like '70s folk music and country music uh, from that time too, because mm-hmm. of my brother. He just always listened to like Graham Parsons and uh, Tom Petty and Neil Young all the time, and so. A lot of his interests rubbed off on me, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask you, how how do you feel like running uh, your label? How has that fueled or affected your own music over the past couple of years? And I know we just talked about, uh, you know, the hired hand being a big influence. But how do you think just, I guess, being able to hear this music and, and interact with artists who are creating things that, uh, you know, that you're surrounded by, how, how do you think that's kind of fueled what you've been doing uh, over the last few years since running the label? Um, the label's like been sort of since, since you're, I'm living in Tulsa, it's been a way to, it's been the almost the only way I can connect with artists outside, um, of Tulsa and just being a solo artist, you don't really, um, you don't really have a whole lot of reason to just like, you know, contact some random artist and talk to them or collaborate. Um, but with the label, that was sort of, it was kind of my way of reaching into that, that whole online scene. Um, and so it's kind of affected 
I guess just the connections that's in that way it's affected my music um, and I've just yeah I've been exposed to a lot more music that I maybe not I maybe wouldn't have made as much time to pay attention to or listen to if it hadn't been for the label so it's and you know I've, I've been influenced by a lot of people because of that I think mm-hmm well, I was going to talk about these two most recent releases that you put out, and one very, very recent, I mean, this week, I believe, in fact. Um, one, I guess, a, one of them is by a, a CD that you put out by an Italian artist by the name of Matteo Ugeri, or Ugeri, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's this brand new cassette that you put out this week by a UK-based uh, artist called Nick Castile. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, how did you discover their work and then what compelled you to put out their music? And then we'll jump into and hear a couple tracks from them. Okay. Um, yeah, Matteo Ugiri, I think that's, I'm not really sure how you pronounce his name either, but I think it's Matteo Ugiri. Uh, his music just came to me via a demo, which doesn't happen. All, I don't take a whole lot of demos, so it doesn't usually, I don't usually put out stuff like that, but um yeah, that came to me from a demo, and he, it actually wasn't that music. I think it was just a link to his band camp. And uh, I checked out his stuff, and he has all these just really pretty, like, sparse piano pieces um, with just, you know, every, like, really tastefully mixed-in field recordings. Um, and that was, so I was like, man, send me, you know, please do send me any kind of stuff that's like this. I really, I was really into it. And so he just sent that stuff over, and it's ended up being the first, first CD on the label, so we've never gone into that format, but, um, yeah, so that one, that one just came out, and then the Nick Costell, I guess the Nick Costell came out yesterday, actually, uh, officially, and that one, that one I think I just discovered by checking out a tag on, on Bandcamp, <clears throat> and then I found his stuff, and it was just, like, so badass, and it was all for free, like, giving all, almost all, I think pretty much all his albums away for free um i think he still is you could check out his Bandcamp page but um so yeah i was just like you know it, it it sparked up that feeling i had a long time ago with um with like the local bands where i was just like man this is like just this amazing music that's one being given away for free like he's just kind of like he doesn't even you can kind of just tell he's just it's just a total side project but it's just so he's so talented and it's like um i just really wanted to share it to more people and so I contacted him and I almost went and met up with him I was in I I went to Europe like about three or four months ago and I almost I almost met up with him but I ended up two of the people I was with got sick and so I had to take care of them in London um but uh I ended up listening to his music like for two months straight in Europe I listened to it over and over he had these two songs that I they weren't on this album but they were just for free on his band camp, but they're just some traditional uh, British folk songs, one called Courting Too Slowly. And I just listened to that, like, nonstop. I was in Wales uh, with my girlfriend. We just, like, we were hiking around these hills, and I just listened to this song, like, on repeat, like, 30 times. (laughs) And so, (laughs) yeah, I just got really obsessed with his music, and, you know, it's just really, really good. And that's also why I spent so much time doing the artwork for that one is just I just really really cared about that mm-hmm. about that guy's stuff 
So it, it's been field tested, uh, Castell's music. It, it survived oh, the, yeah. the travel, <laughs> the travel yeah. test, right? Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna jump into it. We're gonna play something from that, from the new cassette from him first, and then we'll play something from Matteo Ujeri. Uh, so I'm gonna play. Okay. I guess the first, we'll call it the first single, since this is the one that was <laughs> available uh, upon download. But this is called "Quarter Century" from Nick Castell and his album called "The Water Margin."
So the last track that we played in that set was from Mohawk Park, and this, that was actually the first tape or anything that I heard from your label. Um, it's your duo with Brad, uh, Rose of Digitals. Mm-hmm. Um, are you? Do you guys still find time to to record together? Um, I know he's he's a busy guy with uh, other obligations, but do you guys still record as Mohawk Park? Um, not really. Well, it's been about it's definitely been over a year uh, since I've probably even seen him um just because he had that baby recently and and i as we were talking earlier i know you know his like proxy digitalis kind of had to take take the back end because of that but um so i know he's just been super been super busy and i haven't really reached out to do anything we do have like a whole we have a whole other album finished it's like a little more produced than the uh the tape from the label but i'm still so we're still just sitting on that trying to figure out what to do with that but i haven't I haven't seen him in a while. I'd love to record with him. We had another project that was a little more ambient called Angel Food. Um, it was on, we did a, a little three inch with, for Hooker Vision a while back. Mm-hmm. That was actually the first, that was the first, you know, album I ever did with uh, anybody and, and it got released besides um, this project called The Doldrums I did a long time ago. But um, yeah, so I haven't, I haven't seen him in a while, but I'd love to, I'd love to record again soon. Yeah, how about how about the other uh, collaborative thing that you have going called uh, Golden Pawn? Is that something that you're still you know actively recording uh, with the other members of that group? Yeah, um, I live with one of the members, um, so we record we record quite a bit, and uh, the other member is Mark, who I was talking about, and um, he lives like a few miles away, so we do get together and. Uh, we're actually going to do or play our first live show next month. Um, oh, okay. And it's sort of like a improv group, so we're just gonna, like we're just going to try it out and see. Since we've we've all known each other for you know like ten, fifteen years, so we kind of we we know how to play off of each other pretty well without practicing. So I think it'll be good. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, this latest uh, album of yours called Black Coral Sprig. Uh, just came out on Preservation. Uh, and this is your latest work as uh, Talk West. Um, you know, kind of compared to these other projects and even some of your previous work, it, it, you know, it, it sounds to me like you put a lot of time uh, and effort into, you know, really forming a whole cohesive album here with this one. Um, I'm just kind of curious, could you share some of the details about what, it, you know, went into the making of this new record? Yeah, this one, um, this one was a little different than the other tapes I'd done. It was, uh, it's probably... the the first couple tapes I did were mostly just one one take um, recordings, and I, I wanted to keep. I got that was kind of the point of the project. I wanted to keep it pretty raw, like as raw as possible, just like one one take to cassette tape or something. And um, that was like the first tape I did was all that. It was just a loop pedal and pedal steel, um, and I recorded it to tape. And it was all that was the first time I'd done anything using a tape. I I wasn't even this was also before I was aware that there was like a tape community out there <clears throat> and it was just because my computer I'd gotten in this new studio downtown in this like old kind of warehouse it used to be like a train a train station and then um, I just got in got in the studio and I hadn't got my computer up there yet and I found like a tape player or an old tape recorder in the warehouse and I already had my pedal steel set up so I just spent like about three or four days recording all these different loops, and um, that's what ended up being the first tape I did with uh, Avant Archive. Mm-hmm. 
And then um, the next couple of tapes after that were also in the same vein, just sort of um, uh, improvisations on either electric guitar or pedal steel. And then uh, the Black Girl Sprig, like you said, it was like a little more, I, sp- I did spend a little bit more time with, with this one, and um, I recorded strings with this, and like I've had a, I've had a uh, an upright bass at my house for a long time. I had a roommate who played jazz bass um, for uh, TU, the college here, and uh, so he had this extra stand-up bass. He ended up leaving here, and it's just been kind of sitting here for like three years. So I finally, I used to play viola in in, um, in middle and high school, so I sort of still knew how to play a little bit, and uh, ended up recording strings to most of the most of the songs on that record. Um, and I think it's the first the first record where I uh, used electric guitar. I think all the other Talk West ones are all pedal steel, so that's the first one where I started playing electric uh, six string on that. This is a, a stupid question, but like it's not even a question. But <laughs> this is one of those things where like, damn it, you got to come pick up your uh, stand up bass. It's taking up too much space. But this <laughs> it paid off for you, huh? Yeah, it was just I, I was I was pretty fine with him leaving it, even though it was, <laughs> the neck is like cracked on it, and I just put some like wood glue, and it seems to be holding up. I've still got it. I just it, it, the one thing that sucks is that I I want to like spend time getting good at it, so I hate having like an extra instrument in the house. It's just, like taunting me all the time. <laughs> this big stand-up bass with uh, wood glue and duct tape in the corner, huh? It's calling <laughs> <Yeah>. your name. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you put out this album, Rise and Shine, I think it was, well, a year and a half ago or so under your given name. Uh, and again, it was very stripped down, kind of comprised of mostly improvised guitar pieces. So I know the circumstances surrounding that album were, were quite personal, but I guess what made you want to release something under your given name as opposed to Talk West? And is this something that you, you know, plan to do to, to differentiate some of your work that you're doing solo? Um, yeah, I do. I think I want to keep doing this. I, I didn't, and that one sort of started out like real uh, purely. I wasn't trying to. I I didn't. Um, I didn't think about it too much. And I it was also sort of breaking into like some something that's a little bit more folky sounding. Um, since they were just improvisations in that, and it, it was right when I first got a guitar, so I was just kind of messing around with that. And it was also like a really heavy time because my dad. The reason I Sort of the reason I compiled the songs and named it what I named it was um, because my dad had just had like a massive heart attack that week, and so he was in the he was in the hospital, and that was like he had the heart attack on Valentine's Day, I think, 2011, and so um, it was sort of it was just kind of like that was it was really personal just because it was my dad, and so I think that was the main reason I went with using my my given name for that was just because of how personal the music was and how personal the the time was mm-hmm. and you know i think band names in general are just kind of they're kind of funny it's just like they're not super serious it, you know you, it's hard it's hard to be serious with a band name since it's not really you know it's not sincerely that person mm-hmm. um so it just kind of kind of made sense to do it under my name and I, the album rise and shine was just something my dad would always come into our room when we were kids and wake us up by saying rise and shine real loud <laughs> so that was just sort of I was just trying to like bring in some positive energy while he was 
you know, under for about a couple of days. Sure, sure. And how was that recorded? I mean, in a, just a really brief span of time, do you say, like during a one-week span of time? Yeah, it was... Um, I'm trying to think if there's any songs that were not recorded, especially the song Rise and Shine, the, the last, I think it's the last song, and then the first song, Summon Up the Blood, and um, pretty sure all the songs were recorded within that week, but there might have been there might have been one 12-string song that I recorded before that, but they were all pretty much recorded, yeah, like just within that little time span. Okay, okay. Well, kind of one final question for you. I just wanted to know, I guess, what do you have in store for Scissor Tail Editions here uh, in the months ahead, and maybe for yourself and the work that you're doing? Um, well, for Scissor Tail, um, there's a couple LPs coming out this this year. Uh, I've I've got Scott Tuma. Um, it's like a reissue of his first two solo albums. It's going to be so. It's going to we're going to do like a double vinyl. For that, uh, his first album was Hard Again, and then his second album was The River, One, Two, Three, Four. And um, so I'm working on that, and this guy, Chris Cole, who did, I think, pretty much all of Scott Tuma's um, solo album artwork is doing the artwork for it. So that one's coming out. Um, and I just um, found out last week I'm going to get to do a like a joint label release of Robbie Basho Live. Um, some some recordings of his from the seventies from uh, I think Sinclair Auditorium. Oh, cool! Um, and so that's I'm super psyched about that. I've like this. I found I found that stuff on a blog. Someone was just like you know giving away these tracks, um, you know, just as a up a download. And so I got obsessed with that live recording. He has like this recording of uh, a song called "Moving Up a Ways." It's like better than way better than the the album version that he did for mm-hmm. Wyndham Hill. Um, so there's that. Hopefully that'll be this year, and that's going to be like a really limited thing. I'm going to do it with this label, uh, Grass Tops Recordings, who did the um, the Visions of the Country reissue yeah, on they, CD this last year. I think they're from our area, Minneapolis, right? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. Kyle, Kyle Foster, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he is from up there. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the name, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, we just we just started talking about doing that this last week, so that's I'm hoping that'll happen within the year. And um, what else? Um, I think there's I know there's something else. I mean, I know there's another LP. There's a, a tape from M Sage, the guy who runs Patient Sounds. Mm-hmm. That um, that'll be the next thing. I've already got those ready to go. Um, another tape from West Tyree and Andrew Weathers. Oh, cool! Yeah. And um, oh yeah, the L- they're going to do an LP with uh, Willamette. They're like a really, really cool ambient group. I think some of the members are up in the Northwest. Um, but yeah, they've they've got there. That was another group that I listened to in Europe. Like anytime we got on a plane, I had to put on their music because it was like <laughs> the most <laughs> relaxing music. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that and that's that's pretty much it. Um. For at least for this year, for Scissor Tail, and then I got a bunch of tapes. I got like four or five tapes coming. Talk West tapes coming out this year, with um, one with uh, Mar Mar Mara, I think that's how you say it. Records in Austin, and then um, something with Cabin Floor Esoterica. Oh, cool. oh, they're back in action though. Yeah, he just started back up like um, just about a month ago. Oh, cool. 
I always liked that yeah. label, yeah. I did too, yeah. That was I've always loved their pack. They always do really cool packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something with six sick tapes and uh, something with, um, I think it's it's like this, it's not a super new label, but it's called uh, Wist Records. I think they're German, but they do these really, like, really cool limited edition, like, three-inch CDs. Um, oh, okay. So... Bunch of bunch of little Talk West things, and then I've got a finished album for the stuff under my name, um, but I'm just trying to figure out where to send it. And then uh, I'd like to do I'd like to have Tompkins Square do it. That'd be my ideal situation. All right, so we'll send it out. So Tompkins Square, if you're listening right now, uh, Dylan's got a yeah, record for please. you. <laughs> Any other labels interested? Something with their. Uh, well, there. I, luckily, I'm that guy's the guy who runs Tompkins Square. I'm going to do. Be on his next um, compilation, those Imagine National Anthem. Oh yeah, those are great. Yeah, that's great. So that's a that's like a huge step for me. I'm like so pumped to get to be on that. Um, but that's about it, I think. For I mean, there's tons of there's man, there's so many awesome labels right now making really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds to me like uh, you've got plenty plenty on your plate. So uh, that's great. <laughs> well, uh, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for letting me do it. Yeah, well, let's let's jump into uh, here. This we're gonna play a couple Talk West tracks from your most recent album, uh, Coral Sprig in the set, and uh, I think we'll sandwich in uh, something from that Golden Pawn, your most recent tape. So this is Talk West with the opening cut. It's called Light Black.
And that's going to bring things to an end for us on this edition of the Foxy Podcast. I want to thank Dylan once again for uh, taking the time to speak with us this week. And uh, follow the links on our website to uh, track down some of those releases uh, from Scissor Tail Editions and to find out any more information. But if you have any questions for me, you can uh, shoot me an email at ffreakout at hotmail.com. Otherwise, check back with us in a couple of weeks for another uh, standard show. So as always, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>